The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 1 verses 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. How are we doing, Sacred City? Well, hey, I already got introduced by Ben. Uh, my name's Scott. Uh, I'm pastor at Harvest City. But uh, before we get into the word of God there's, this morning, I was told I had to stay on the carpet this time. I was like way over here the last service, okay? So I'm going to try and stay from here to here. But anyway, what I would like to start with is a couple of things uh, before we get to the word of God. One of them is just to say thanks. All right, like, so the things that Ben just noted uh, aren't just small things to our church. They're incredibly noteworthy things, okay? And so uh, some of y'all know this. If you've been at Sacred City long enough, uh, the planting of a church isn't an individual endeavor. It's not an endeavor that a couple of individuals go after, but it's really uh, a huge thing. It's a kingdom work, right? And uh, so the gifts that y'all have given our church by way of financial support, of inviting us to be a part of Porterbrook, and uh, by lending your pastor to me to be a pastor to me as a mentor and a coach uh, and an example are huge gifts. So A, thank you for financially supporting our, our church plant, right? Like if you've ever put money in that box or that box that, that Ben was just talking about, uh, y'all know that a good amount of your money goes out the doors towards church planting and that has impacted Harvest City such that uh, we're like two years into our church plant in March and our budget team has just decided that in May we're going off uh, support. We're going to be a freestanding church like, you know, like on our own financially. And so thank you. That's a gift from y'all. Uh, y'all have been a part of that, so thank you for helping make that possible. Uh, also, a good amount of the gospel discipleship that happens in our church right now uh, is via Porterbrook, right? Like 15 or 16 of our young leaders and upcoming leaders and, and just missional family members uh, have jumped into Porterbrook. I'm, I'm doing it this year uh, by way of example and doing it with them. And it's been such a joy uh, to be a part of. And it wouldn't be possible, right? It wouldn't be possible without uh, Ben and his team and all the people that administrate all those things. So any of you that has ever been a part of Porterbrook or, or helps read our papers and do all that stuff, uh, thank you. That's a gift to our church. It enables uh, gospel discipleship to be happening in Iowa City uh, because y'all have invited us into that. So thank you. That makes a huge impact uh, in our city and in our church. Uh, and lastly, uh, probably the best gift personally that I feel like y'all give me is uh, the gift of your pastor, right? So for Justin to, to pastor me, to be a mentor to me, to be an example to me uh, is such a gift that I get to be coached by him. Uh, and so, uh, man, y'all, just even when Ben's up here talking about, uh, like, you know, helping us to understand giving him rest, me being here is for Justin's rest. That example is huge, right? Because uh, I'm not quite two years in and I just came off of this stretch of 15 weeks in a row in a pulpit and a man's not made to do that. A man needs rest. And so Justin's example to me and then him pulling me aside in a coaching meeting and being like, hey, you don't do that again, you know, uh, is such a gift. So thank you for allowing your pastor uh, to pastor me uh, as I'm pastoring people in Iowa City. That's such a gift. So second thing, besides saying thank you uh, that I want to mention, and y'all probably feel this already just from my gratitude, is uh, just to let y'all know and remind you, because these things become familiar to us. When they're normal to us, they become familiar to us. Y'all have an amazing thing going on here, 
right? There is like so much evidence of grace just being around and being a part of what's happening uh, at Sacred City. Uh, just think even in the last like month for me, I get to spend time with Justin and Sam. Like we kick it with these, with Acts 29 Iowa guys. There's like five of us now. Like it's, it's great that God's doing a work in Iowa uh, through Acts 29. Uh, and so I get to kick it with them monthly. Uh, I've gotten to interact with Ben and Joel a number of times. Uh, I'm personally a student in Porterbrook, like I said, uh, this past week, uh, even our family got to take a young woman from your church, like out to lunch, right? She uh, got a job in Marion and was directed to actually live in North Liberty, partway between Cedar Rapids and Iowa City so that she could be a part of our church. And the lunch, I thought it was going to be like convincing her to be a part of Harvest City. Now she's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> okay. Uh, the lunch was her raving about and me just getting asked the questions of how much God had done in her life through your church. And so I, I get to like have these odd, odd vantage points, you know, from the outside to see uh, the work of God's grace here. And, uh, and it's just beautiful to see the work that he's doing, but that's not it, right? So also this week, uh, as I'm preparing to preach, uh, you got to be in tune with what's being preached before you, right? And so I'm listening to Justin preach, and the Spirit of God is just breaking me and convicting me of sin and, like, stirring my heart toward worship. And I was just reminded how great y'all have it week in and week out, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a unique work of God's grace and what he's doing here. And so I, I'm calling Justin that day. He's on his way to the Zion God Conference. And I'm like, bro, thanks for uh, letting me sit under the word of God preached here in my office this morning uh, as I prepare to preach your word. So I just want y'all to know that the evidence of God's grace that y'all experience at Sacred City on a regular basis as normal, right, in your MCs, in your gathering on Sunday mornings, in Porterbrook, and all these things, uh, it's, it's not normal everywhere else. God's doing a unique work here through the leadership of Sacred City and your missional communities in this city, and I get to feel its effects all the way in Iowa City. And so I just wanted to honor uh, the work that God's doing here. Can we just praise God for the unique work of his grace that he's doing in your church? Like, it's a really beautiful thing. So thank you for inviting me to come and get to be a part of that. Um, man, it's good for me. Uh, I think it's going to be a work. We were talking about this in between services. Maybe, uh, you know, like if you, if you run longer sometimes as a work of trying to get in better condition. I'm hoping that two services this morning uh, is good for my conditioning, okay? Uh, and so uh, it's, anyway, it's going to be fun to do this round two with y'all. So at Harvest City, I often say that we need to go to the classroom before we go to church, okay? And what I mean by that is before we dive into this text, uh, we need to get a grasp of the context in order to understand the content of this passage. So many of y'all know this already, but uh, we're jumping in today into Colossians 1, 13, and 14. And uh, when we're preaching texts like uh, this small of segments, it's really uh, always true that, that I have to, we're going to have to do some work to understand what happened first in order to understand what's going on in our context. And we're going to have to know what's going on after this. And so last week, right, one of the truths that Justin unpacked for us came from Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We're going to be talking about that qualifying work that Jesus has done all morning this morning. And in order to illustrate this truth for us, Justin used the phrase more common to us, right? That of qualifying for the state tournament, okay? And when he was doing this, he, he made it really clear that it's from this text that the Christian life is motivated by the work of God who has qualified it. It's, it's not us who qualify, right? It's, that's not a parallel, but it's God who has qualified us. And he shared this dictionary.com definition. I thought it was really helpful. To be qualified for something, here it now, means to be entitled to, part, to a particular benefit 
or a privilege by fulfilling a necessary condition. Jesus is the one that can uh, fulfilled that condition on our behalf. But in the same way that high school athletes have to qualify for the state track tournament, Justin made the point that if there's a heaven, right, like everyone is going to have to qualify somehow to get in. And when Justin started talking about the work of God and how he uh, forgives us and redeems us, he couldn't help but use the deliverance and the forgiveness and the transferring and the redemption language in verses 13 in order to talk about that qualifying because it's that language in verse 13 and 14 that is the very basis of our qualification. So this morning... In the same way that a high school runner's 400 meter dash performance at a district track meet could be the basis for his or her qualification to run the 400 meter dash at the state tournament, delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son are the basis for God's qualification of believers for a share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So I just want to stop there for a moment and just think about in the midst of that qualification, right? Like uh, in our text, the first word used is, is deliverance like or rescue. Man, we've got to recognize, we've got to dial in on the fact that the rest of this morning is not going to be helpful if we don't know that he's the one that has done the work of qualifying. Amen? Like, like when we think about rescue, you know, like you think about someone taking one of those uh, rescue rings and throwing it out to somebody in the water and like pulling them in. Like oftentimes when we think of rescue, we think about somebody, oh, they, they were just about to drown, but they at least grabbed a hold of that ring and did that. No, 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 that's not the work here. Like it is not, we could not grab a hold of a ring. We were not like flailing in the water. We were on the bottom of the, of the lake, like dead in our stresses and sins. And he comes down and does a work of resurrection to, to bring us newness of life. It is him that does the work of qualifying. We did not take part in this work. And so if we don't get a hold of that first, this isn't going to help all of that much. God's grace is sufficient for us in this rescuing. But the reason that I used the state track meet, uh, I had to call Phil Young to ask for some help this morning to or this week to understand how it all works, right? I was not a track star. I did qualify, okay, for the state tournament in baseball on the backs of two D1 baseball players, not because of my baseball abilities. That's kind of like the gospel, right? I just cruised in there to the state tournament on their backs, okay? Uh, they qualified me for the state tournament. But Phil knows more about that, so I was asking him how it works. But I used this illustration of the state track meet not because there's multiple ways to qualify, right? In fact, scripture could not be any more clear that there is only one way we qualify for this inheritance. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. But the reason I wanted to talk about track is because generally speaking, there is one way to qualify for the state tournament. On a, on a general level, if you run really fast on the right day, that's how you qualify for the state track meet, right? But then there's some details underneath of that that help us understand the basis for your qualification. And that's what we're talking about here. Like if you uh, in the state track meet run really fast, if, you, if you're like known in the state as really fast and you run really fast that day, yeah, you're in, right? Like that's true because if you get first or second place in the 400 meter dash at your district track meet, like you're in. But the other way, right, like the more detailed version that you might find out is there's some guys and women that end up at the state track meet that didn't get first or second at their district. They were a part of this group of 12 other runners that had the 12 fastest times in the rest of the state beyond that, right? So there's details that we need to know that are the basis for our qualification. And that's what we're digging into today is the basis for our qualification, the good news of the gospel. And so either way, 
whether you were first or second in your district or you uh, were the next 12 in, you still qualified. And in today's text, there's four phrases to talk about the good news of the gospel, four detailed phrases that we get into that are spoken of as the basis for our qualification. So this morning, I think God wants each one of us to hear because God has delivered us and transferred us into his kingdom. We must be thankful and live a fruitful life. The title for today's sermon is Delivered and Transferred. I know the scripture was already read, but uh, at our church, I like to read it myself. So can I just read it one more time for us before we pray? Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, as we enter into your word this morning, uh, it's really clear to me uh, that uh, I need you to be the one that is speaking through me. God, people here don't need to hear a word from Scott Gaskill, that's for sure. Uh, We need to hear a word of grace uh, from the Holy Spirit. So God, would you do that work this morning? Would you also give each and every one of us soft hearts and ears to hear? We want to be a people that not just hear the gospel preached, not just believe the gospel, but see it seep out through our lives that it would spill over into the city and the rest of the world. By your grace and through your spirit, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this text starts off talking about deliverance. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Before we get into talking about that rescue, uh, let's notice on the, on the big picture that he's talking about two different kingdoms ruled over by two personal authorities, okay? In verse 13, what we see are two different kingdoms ruled over by two personal authorities. The kingdom's a little bit easier to see. Uh, The authorities, we're gonna have to dial in a little bit in order to see that. But I heard, okay, I heard that around here, uh, y'all get a lot of Lord of the Rings references, okay? It was in that uh, end of the year uh, thing, Ben made a joke about it, uh, 54 references in 53 sermons or something like that, right? Uh, so I thought I'd spare you the Lord of the Rings reference and we'll just go straight to Star Wars this morning, okay? Uh, that's more up my alley. So when I'm thinking about two kingdoms with two personal authorities, clearly I'm thinking about the light side and the dark side, Right? So you got, you got two kingdoms with two personal authorities, right? You've got the light side, and, and in the light side, if you go all the way back to one, two, and three, you know, the part of the uh, movies that people don't like, all right, because of uh, that annoying guy, Misa, Jar Jar Binks, you know what I mean? Anyway, people don't like it, but uh, if you go all the way back there, what you'd see is that they're doing something right on the light side. On the light side, there's a personal authority at the top, right? There's this, there's this Jedi council at the top. They're, it's not even just one dude, okay? They're doing it in a plurality of leadership. This is really good, okay? There's something beautiful about this, okay? So on the light side, you've got this personal authority of the Jedi council ruling, right? But then in the dark side, all you've got is the Sith, and they're not, they're not ruling uh, necessarily in a plurality. It's one dude for sure. The other guy is a puppet of his. And so that's how things work out in, in that side. But you've got two kingdoms with two personal authorities. And just like in Star Wars, these kingdoms are not primarily geographic kingdoms, right? The light side and the dark side might have their strongholds. But what's significant about the domain of darkness and the kingdom of God is the authority in each of them. You with me? The thing that's significant is the authority in each of them. So in Colossians 1.13, it says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and the authority over that, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's the authority we're going to be talking about a lot today. But the he in this text is God the Father, and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And the most significant thing we know about the kingdom of darkness is that Satan and sin are in authority there. The deliverance 
or rescue achieved is from the authority of darkness. Let me bring this down to earth for us a little bit. It's hard for us even to imagine. Even if, if we're in Christ now, it's hard for us to, to think about and to put ourselves in that, in that camp of being for a long chunk of our lives. I didn't meet Jesus till 19 years old. It's hard for us to think that for the 19 years of my life that I kicked it before the grace of God dawned in my heart, that I was living under the domain of sin and Satan. That's not easy for us to swallow, right? And I think oh, we kick back on that so much because in our lives, we didn't think Satan was calling the shots in our lives. No, because he's called the father of lies and he's incredibly crafty in the way that he does that. You hear me? He's not gonna be that direct and forthright to you and make you bow down to him and, and do what he says. Like he's gonna be crafty in the way that he comes about it. He's the father of lies. And so bring this down a little bit. When we think about the gospel, oftentimes we realize, and it's easier for us to think about how the gospel deals with the penalty of our sin. But this morning, when we think about being delivered from the domain of darkness, we're gonna be talking about how the gospel deals with the power of sin in our lives. We were once in the domain of darkness, but by God's grace, we have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are now in Christ under a new authority. In other words, every person who is not in Christ is a slave to sin, living under sin's authority. And the good news of the gospel is that the God and father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ has delivered us and rescued us from said authority. And we see this all over scripture. It helps us, I think, to cross check a little bit in this because the father of lies has got us so bought into some of these lies. So when Paul, okay, the dude that wrote two thirds of the New Testament, by the way, okay, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, after uh, this work happened in his heart, uh, this is what Jesus says to him in Acts 26, 18. Uh, the last word of verse 17 is Gentiles, okay? So Paul is being sent to the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you, Jesus says, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Hear the par parallel here. From darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. It's pretty direct. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and, play, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, when we turn from uh, the dominion of, domain of darkness, when Jesus delivers us from that, it's turning from the power of Satan to the power of God as the authority in our life. But it's still hard for us to think about, okay, so what does this look like day to day? Are you sure? Is this guy saying that I was living under Satan's authority, under, under sin for this whole chunk of my life? Is this guy saying that maybe that's me right now if I have yet to repent of my sin and believe in the gospel? Well, let's look at another text to have some different ways to think about it. Maybe make this pill a little bit easier to swallow. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says this about us when we were apart from Christ. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Not, not the one grabbing hold of that ring, right? To be pulled up and rescued. Dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Little check there, that's Satan. Among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, this text gives us a few examples of what it might look like for us to see ourselves as living in the domain of darkness. You might need to be rescued from the domain of darkness if your chief concern in life is continually following the course of this world. You hear that in the text? 
If, if you're set out and continually your desire is to achieve a dream set out for you by a coach, a teacher, a family member, or some leader in your life, if, if you're continually driven by status and a desire to see, be seen as great in the culture, if that is the chief desire in your heart, you may need to be rescued from the domain of darkness. If, if, if you're driven day by day by what it says here uh, uh, in your flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, if you're driven by hedonistic desires in your flesh, just to, just to do whatever feels pleasurable, to eat whatever feels pleasurable, to drink whatever feels pleasurable, and you just are guided and, and driven continually by the passions of your flesh, you may need to be delivered from the domain of darkness. That's a sign of it. It also says that if, if you're living out, the, not that it's the desires of the body, but it says, and the mind. If, if you are a person who's living out postmodern truth, right? And you, you see yourself as a person who, well, this is true for me. I don't know what's true for you, but it's my truth. And I decided what is true in your mind. If you're the one that dictates what is true and you're following the passions of your mind, there's not some absolute truth from outside of you that's dictating what's true. You may need to be delivered from the domain of darkness, this text is saying. You see, when we read all the way down to the end of verse 3, we realize that all of mankind is in need of this rescue. Because all have sinned, all are under the power of sin, live in the domain of darkness, and are in need of rescue. So if we're feeling that, then the question that we need to ask is, so how did this rescue come about? How does a father accomplish this rescue? Well, thanks for asking. That's what the rest of our text talks about this morning. So let's go. Here we go. Back into the text. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're going to get there. We're going to spend a lot of time there. But before that, we're going to see how that delivery is, is shown and the effects of that in verse 14. In whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. You see, verse 14 shows us that our deliverance or our rescue is effected by means of the son's redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One of the easiest ways for us to get a grasp on this is by looking back at Exodus when God delivered his people from slavery under the Egyptian Pharaoh. You see, y'all have the advantage uh, that y'all's church has preached through the book of Exodus, right? So you can go back. If you need to do some work on this, you go back and, uh, and listen to what Justin said about it, okay? Don't just trust me for it. He's much better at this kind of thing, okay? But here's the deal. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version because... One thing that, that pastors have the advantage of, right, like I did this whole work of study before coming in this morning, is that uh, I uh, actually reached out to Ben and, or I mean to, uh, yeah, Ben also, but uh, Sam and Justin at the beginning of the week, and I was like, hey, can you just tell me what, what track you're on? Like, what are some of the things you're reading Let's, so I can be in the same pattern? And so as I was studying some of these things, one of the things I found out is that uh, there's only one other place in all of Scripture where there's this lexical combination. It's this combination of words, okay, these phrases of of the deliverance and the phrase of being rede redemption or redeemed from. There's only one other place in the entire scriptures where those phrases are uniquely used in this way, and it's in Exodus. Okay, and so it's like, wow, we need, to, we need to see this connection. We need to see what's going on here. And so the Cliff Notes version of what happened in Exodus that parallels this, right, is that uh, God's people, Israel, they, they're growing in number, they're multiplying, and they become slaves in Egypt, right? And they're, they're living in bondage. They're being forced uh, to servitude. And uh, so then God raises up a leader uh, named Moses, 
And so uh, he uses Moses uh, to help deliver them, and the, the ten plagues happen, right? And so there's all of this business is going crazy up in creation, and, uh, and God is ready to deliver his people. And, and he's going to do all of that so that they can receive his promised land. But there's, there's this thing that it hinged on, right? And it came back to, and kind of the climax of this is the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is that God, uh, you know, if you've ever seen it, Charlton Heston style, it's pretty good, okay? Um, you should check that one out if you haven't. Uh, but the 10th the, the plague is God says, hey, every firstborn son in all of Egypt is gonna die. But he provides a way out because Israel is also in Egypt and their sons would have died too. And so he says, hey, but if you take the Passover lamb and you sacrifice it and you paint the blood, it's blood over the doorpost of your house that the angel of death will pass over so that you can be delivered from this bondage and you can receive the promised land. You see, think with me about how the exodus sheds light on our deliverance from the domain of darkness and our redemption in Christ. First off, just as God's delivering Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt was the basis for enabling them to be able to possess the promised land, so God's rescuing people from the domain of darkness is the basis for them to be able to be qualified for the inheritance. You see, because of what Jesus has done in his deliverance, we can receive the gift of eternal life and spending all of eternity with him. Not only that, but their rescue from slavery was based on a prior identification with the blood of the Passover lamb. Sacred City, what I'm trying to say here is that God the Father qualifies believers for this inheritance of his kingdom by means of the redemptive work of God's son in forgiving the sins of his people. So simply put, what is redemption in Christ? It's Jesus doing everything necessary to bring about our release from the power of sin in our lives. He's not gonna sell you short. He's gonna do everything necessary to bring about our release from the power of sin in our lives. And usually this redemption entails a ransom or a price to be paid for this release. And that's why there's this addendum here, kind of the forgiveness of sins. You see, this phrase is significant. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word translated forgiven here literally means a formal release from an obligation or a debt. A formal release from a debt, especially understood of the debt of sin. In other words, we couldn't be delivered from the domain of darkness until all our debts were paid. And this is a huge problem because 623 of Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says we're all in that boat. All have sinned and all of us deserve death. And you see, Jesus, like as the redeemer, is willing to do everything necessary to redeem his people. So even if the price paid, even if the debt that we have to pay is death, Jesus was willing to go to the point of death to redeem us. You see, Sacred City, hear the good news of the gospel again. In the same way that the Israelites sacrificed a Passover lamb and painted its blood over the doorposts of their homes so that the angel of death wouldn't visit their households. When we trust in Christ as the lamb of God uh, sacrificed for our sins, this is the means by which we are released from the power of sin in our lives. When Jesus died on the cross, it, it was his death that paid our sin, paid for our debt. This is why we sing phrases like Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
because it's through our absolution of our sins, through our forgiveness of our sins, that, that the debt is paid off, that the ransom price is paid, that we are redeemed, that we are delivered and rescued. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was the Father's means of forgiving us of this debt that we owed because of sin. And this good news changes everything. Think with me about a couple of the identities that we can wear now in Christ because of this good news and how that this affects all of our lives. Think, of it, think about this. Now, by grace alone, if this is true, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we are no longer slaves of sin. Rather, we are free. We're no longer under the power and the authority of sin and Satan. We are now free in Christ. But our tendency, right, when we think of freedom, at least in our generation, our our tendency a lot of times is to think freedom is doing whatever we want to do. And so we think, now I'm free to do whatever I want to do. But scripture is pretty clear. Galatians 5.13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, we need to use our freedom to live like people, the people that were in charge of the Underground Railroad back in the day. You hear me? We need to use our freedom to be like people in charge of the Underground Railroad back in the day. You see, they knew how valuable freedom was. They had experienced the depths of freedom. They had mined that freedom for all that it was worth. They understood the joy of being free so much so that they were willing to risk their freedom in order to serve other people and help them experience the freedom that they knew already. You see, they were going to great depths in order to serve one another in their freedom so that others might experience what they had. You see, we can live in this freedom. Let's not use this freedom for ourselves, however. Let's use it to serve God and to serve one another that others might experience the good news of the freedom that we now know. And one of the other identities that this passage can label us, we already sang this morning, right? That we are forgiven. We can wear this like a badge, right? That we are forgiven, not because of anything we've done, not because we prayed the prayer or did the the, the right things, but because of what Jesus has done to redeem us, to set us free, to pay our debts, and to forgive us of our sins. You see, now all who are in Christ no longer carry around the huge debt due for sin. Rather, we are a people who has been forgiven of the largest debt imaginable. And the most natural expression for one who has been forgiven of a large debt, the most natural expression for those of us who have experienced incredible generosity through the gospel isn't to to receive more, it's to give, isn't it? You see, scripture's really clear. Ephesians 4.32 says, uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. When we have been forgiven such a huge, enormous debt, now we have the capacity to live in this newfound freedom and to forgive others and help them experience it. So I wonder if we were to take time, even right now, and jot down in our notes, just think about, okay, who's one person that I need to let off the hook? I don't know about y'all, but I'm prone to bitterness sometimes, and I like to hold it over people a little bit in my sin. Maybe there's somebody right now that the Holy Spirit's gonna bring to mind. You just need to write them down. You need to let them know they are forgiven because you're living in the forgiveness that you've experienced in the gospel. Or maybe... Maybe there's a person that that you can just tell in their nonverbals. You can tell by the way that they carry themselves throughout their day. Somebody that you uh, interact with in your neighborhood, somebody you see at the park, somebody you see at the gym, somebody you work alongside of. 
and that the way that they live shows that they are burdened and crippled with the debt of sin. That they're still living in this domain of darkness. That, that they're, the, they're one, the one who forgives isn't the one calling the shots for them right now. And you need to just pray and ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you give me an opportunity to come alongside of this person to show them through my life, to show them through the community that I live in, to show them through my words that they can be forgiven, that they can experience the amazing grace of the gospel along with me. You see, it's no wonder that this is called a prayer of thanksgiving. Christians have so much to be thankful for. And we're not even done yet. Because God the Father takes our rescue one step further. He doesn't just set us free and be like, hey, you can just stay right there in neutral. No, no, no. He, he delivers us from the domain of darkness, but he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 13, I'll read it one more time. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Sacred City, let's think about what it means to be transferred. This might seem like a lighthearted example, thinking about a vocational transfer, but put yourself uh, in, in the seat of a person uh, who works at a large corporation, right, with many different departments. And uh, let's say one day your boss pulls you in, right? She pulls you into her office, and the first thing she does is she says all these obligatory nice things about you, right? Because that's how these conversations have to start in this circle, is they have to tell you the nice things about you that they wanted to say. And then uh, the conversation turns to uh, some things that maybe you didn't know. You knew all the good things about you, right? You were aware of those things that she told you. But now the conversation turns toward uh, the circumstances of the company, maybe even the circumstances of this specific department. And now you're starting to dial in, what, what's she going to say next? I wonder what's coming here. And then she starts to say, well, because of these circumstances, you're going to be transferred to another department in our company. This is what's best for the company. And then just in case, uh, she says, not to state the obvious, but this means that I won't be your boss anymore. You're going to be in a new department and you'll be working under a new authority. Sacred City, this is precisely what it means to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. When we trust in the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ, we are transferred from one department to the other. And to say that that transfer was an upgrade would be the understatement of the century. You see, we were in a department when we were being ruled over. The power and the authority over us was literally the father of lies. And this transfer puts us under a new authority. And, and this is not just the, the light of the world. There's so much going on here. It is so much better for us. Previously, we were slaves of sin, under, living under the authority of Satan in the domain of darkness. Now in Christ, we have an elevated status as servants of the Most High King. And it gets even better because in this new department called the kingdom of God, we serve a king who came not to be served, but to serve. You see, our king, he's not there so that he could receive from you. He came to give. He says it's, he didn't just come to be served, but to serve. He said it's better to give than to receive. In his department, he cares so much about you that he cared to the point of death on a cross to prove his love to you. He gave his life so that we could live under his good, righteous, and just authority. 
sure, because of this already but not yet nature of the kingdom, there's some benefits in our new department that we won't fully receive until our king comes back a second time. But we still got things pretty good in the present, don't we? There are so many benefits to living in the kingdom of God. The power at work in us isn't a power from top down, right? It's not an authority that rules over us and like pushes us down and makes us feel burdened and motivates us with fear and pride. No, no, no. It's an inside out power. It's the spirit of God coming to live inside of us. It's love welling up inside of us that, that, in, that moves in us to get us to do and live that, the way that he's created us to live. It's completely different than living in the domain of darkness. You see... There's some of these things, right? The, the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. We, we don't yet experience uh, the no more tears and the no more suffering and all those things that are, are good and promised that are gonna come about one day. But we do experience in a very real way the reign of Jesus in our hearts now that we've been transferred to the, to the kingdom of his beloved son. Previously, our boss was the prince of darkness, and now our boss is known as the light of the world. You see, back in the day, we lived in bondage and slavery, but now we are redeemed. In the past, we were labeled with guilt, always carrying the huge debt of our sin, but now we have been forgiven by the king himself. Sacred City, the good news of these two verses alone bears with it a lifetime of application. Our transfer not only entails a new department, but it lands us a whole new identity. The placard on our desk in our new department, it reads, the king's servant. This elevated status that I am known by the king of kings, that he, he knows me. And one of the beauties of this new identity is the truth that our king is also our creator. Our king knows the intricacies of how we were made. He knows what wakes us up in the morning. He knows what turns your crank. He knows what trips your trigger. And when you are doing those things, he knows what fills you with fullness of joy. You see, 19 years of my life, it felt like I was living someone else's story living under someone else's rule, trying to prove myself to someone else. But when Jesus swoops into your story, when the grace of God dawns in your life, it's as if now I'm living my, my own story with Jesus as the hero in this story. And now because I'm not the one on the throne anymore, but the, the king of kings, the right person is on the throne. And because he is also your creator and because he knows you so well, there, there's things that you, you used to do that you thought, well, this was drudgery. But now when I do them, I'm experiencing joy and my heart delights in it. Y'all like, uh, I mean, there's not, I don't know everybody here, so I'll pick on the people that I do. But, but when Phil Young is leading me before the throne of God in worship and, and, like, and I get to see the smile on his face and, and his head kicked up like, like it was Easter back in the day at Parkview when we served together. There's something in me that just knows that's a part of what God created him for. Right, like this is like God uniquely made him and so God stirs his affections in such a way that when he plays the guitar and he sings songs, not only does he benefit, but everybody else benefits because he's sitting in that seat on the, on, in this department, right? In the kingdom of the beloved son. And so God knows uniquely how he's made you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows uh, what turns your crank. And so I want you to think about in his kingdom to be a servant, it's much different than being a slave in bondage in Egypt, isn't it? 
There is, there is a new life in serving our king because our king doesn't lead from the top down. He leads from the inside out. He's changing our hearts and our desires to come in line with his desires. He knows uniquely how he's made us so that we can serve our role and do it to his glory with fullness of joy. And because of this, our role in his kingdom's not one that we should dread. No, we could serve in this role every moment of every day because we serve with his power. We serve under his good authority and he knows exactly what is best for us. You see, one thing we can be sure of is the truth that our new boss knows us even better than we know ourselves. So there's no need to question his authority in this new kingdom. There's no need to try and step in and call the shots when we get backed up into a corner. There's no need to even let down uh, our guard and when our flesh turns us down a new path toward darkness because we have been transferred into a new department and we have the best boss ever. In fact, he has a very specific title. And this is where we're gonna land this morning. Look at this text one more time. The kingdom's not called the kingdom of God. It's not called the kingdom of heaven. It's called a very specific name here. It's called the kingdom of his beloved son. And this phrase, this phrase of the beloved son should take us straight to a specific moment in scripture to the moment when Jesus was baptized, when, when like a dove descended down and the spirit came upon Jesus, when John the Baptist, Baptist was baptizing him. And, and for me, this always brings about the voice of, of James Earl Jones. You with me? It, it, feel, it just feels like it had to have been like Mufasa in that cloud speaking down to Simba, you know, like it just had to be like that, okay? So for me, uh, anytime I'm reading this to my kids when we're doing our family devotionals, it's just like right there. And I'm like, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the other night we're doing family devos and Kobe's my son, Jacoby, he's like, dad, was that Darth Vader speaking? I'm like, ah, oh, sorry to confuse you, son. It's the same voice actor. Just, it, it was Mufasa this time, okay? So sorry for the Star Wars and then that reference, you know, don't meld them together, okay? But this is where it's supposed to take us. When we read that it's the kingdom of his beloved son, it's supposed to take us to Jesus' baptism. And so I want to read Matthew 3, 16 and 17 as we close today. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Sacred City, when, when God the Father spoke this over Jesus, it was before Jesus lived a perfect life. When God the Father spoke this over Jesus, it was before Jesus ever died a substitutionary death on the cross. It was before Jesus resurrected three days later. God the Father proclaimed over his son that he loved, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Remember from this illusion that when Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit that day and declared to be the one true king, God the Father loved Jesus the Son, not because of what he had done, but because he loved him because he was his son. He loved him because he loved him. Sacred City, to be in Christ, to be united to Christ by faith in the gospel is to be brought into that love. A love that is not dependent upon our doing, but upon our good, good father's perfect love for his perfect son. You see, the good news of the gospel is that even if this text put you in a camp where you're uncomfortable being right now and thinking about it as being under the domain of darkness, 
Even if it put you in an uncomfortable spot and you're thinking about your past and you're like, man, the, 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 the father of lies was calling the shots in my life for far too long. The good news of the gospel in the kingdom of his beloved son is that it has far more to do with our believing than it does our doing. It far, has far more to do with what Jesus has done than ever we will do. And so when we think about this, we've got to come to this moment and thinking about that through our union with Christ, that the Father and what he said at Jesus' baptism, that's what he would speak of us because we are united to Christ in God. And so when I put my son to bed every night, I say, Kobe, I love you because I love you. You know what that means? Yeah, I know he knows what it means. I just want to rehearse it with him. I want him to know what it means. I want to talk about it. And so he says, yeah, Dad, that means that you'll always love me no matter what. And then we come up with the most outlandish, off-the-world things. And it's really easy sometimes when he's had a disobedient day, right? I'll say, well, yeah, Kobe, like that means that I'll love you even though you did this today. <laughs> but it also means I won't love you anymore even if you did this outlandishly great thing. You see, in the Father's kingdom, there is this awesome, awesome truth that we have the most job security that we could ever imagine in this new department and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son because he is the king. It, it, no matter what we did, we are not gonna be promoted to a spot that we don't deserve. He's always gonna be the king. And no matter what we do to the opposite, we will not ever step out of the love that he has for us. You see, in this new department, we are loved in the same way that God the Father loves his one and only son. This is the good news of living in the kingdom of his beloved son. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much.